Thank you for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. This week, Michael Exum shares with us a message titled, God's Heart Murmurs for Reconciliation. We pray God speaks to you through this message and His Word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. All right, we're going to the book of, what book are we going to? We're going to the book of First, Second Corinthians, rather, chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. And today we're going to read a lot of scripture. Why? Because we're a church. There you go. <laughs> and I want to share with you, in line with the series that has been shared over the past number of weeks, uh, today we're going to call it God Heart, God's Heart Murmurs for Reconciliation. I believe God is so very passionate about reconciliation, and I pray that you would be challenged in this message today. 2 Corinthians 5, chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. That, that's enough to shout about right there. <laughs> so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be, be made right with God through Christ. Can you say amen for God's word? The word reconciliation, I'm just going to give you a working brief definition today. It's the message of, of reconciliation is to a world of men that can be brought back to God. Reconcilia reconciliation means to change thoroughly to change from enmity to friendship, to bring together, to restore. The idea is that two persons who should have been together all along are brought together. Two persons who had allowed something to come between them are restored and reunited. If you take the time to read Romans 5, 6 through 10 when you get home today, you'll find that God reconciled us while we were still sinners. He didn't wait to see if we were good enough. He didn't wait to see if we would do everything he wanted us to do. He didn't wait to see how obedient we could possibly be. He sent Christ to die for us while we were sinners. So it's clear to me that God is very passionate about bringing his creation, mankind, back to himself. 
Those verses I aforementioned will also make it clear to you that it was sin that had separated us from God. It was sin that broke the fellowship with mankind and God. And I think, and this is just my personal way of thinking, I think that many people have a misconception of who God is and of what his attributes are and the way he relates to his people. Why do I say that? Because we hear things like God has all power. He's omnipotent. We hear that God is all-seeing. He's omnipresent and uh, he's, he's everything. He fills the whole earth. So the average person who doesn't know God thinks, well, this guy that has all the power and this guy that can see everything probably sees everything I'm doing and he's probably going to get me. And the way I thought before I was a Christian was exactly that same thing. It wasn't encouraging for me to hear that God had all power when I felt he could use it against me. I believe that God is totally different from that based on what we see in Scripture. I mean, who else would take you in and pay the price of the blood of his son for you when he didn't even know exactly how you were going to respond to it or if you were going to respond to it. So I began some years ago to understand that God is a very loving father. I, I love the songs we sing because they point to how much he loves us instead of being someone who we think might be out to get us, out to trick us, or out to play games with us. That's not the case with God at all. He's a God that's reconciliatory. He's a God that sees enmity that happened between himself and mankind, and he's a God who is determined to get us back. I heard somebody say you can run, but you can't hide. And usually that's given in a negative connotation. But with God, no, you can't hide. The Bible says if we ascend to heaven, he's there. If we go down to the depths of hell, he's there. No matter where you go, you can't get away from God. But why is he looking for you? He's looking for you because he wants you back. God is passionate about it. I'm, I'm concerned and, and I believe and I'm impressed that he spends every day thinking of how he can get you back into his good graces if something happened and you fell away. I have three points today I'd like to share with you. And the first one is found in 1 Samuel chapter, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 14. And we're going to read verses 1 through 14. And my first point is, come back to God. Come back to God. No matter where you are today, no matter what's happened in your life, you need to understand emphatically that you can come back. Not only can you come back, you are wanted back. Let's read these verses. They have, you'll find them very, very interesting. 
2 Samuel chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Joab realized how much the king longed to see Absalom. So he sent for a woman from Tekoa who had a reputation for great wisdom. He said to her, pretend you are mourning. Wear mourning clothes and don't put on lotions. Act like a woman who has been mourning for the dead for a long time. Then go to the king and tell him this story that I'm about to tell you. Then Joab, to Joab told her what to say. When the woman from Tekoa approached the king, she bowed with her face to the ground and in deep respect and cried out, O king, help me. What is the trouble, the king asked. Alas, I am a widow, she replied. My husband is dead. My two sons had a fight out in the field. And since no one was there to stop it, one of them was killed. Now the rest of the family is demanding, let us have your son. We will execute him for murdering his brother. He doesn't deserve to inherit the family property. They want to extinguish the only coal I have left, and my husband's name and family will disappear from the face of the earth. Leave it to me, the king told her. Go home, and I'll see to it that no one touches him. Oh, thank you, my lord, the king, the woman from Tekoa replied. If you are criticized for helping me, let the blame fall on me in my father's house, and let the king and his throne be innocent. If anyone rejects the king said, bring him to me. I can assure you he will never complain again. Then she said, please swear to me by the Lord, your God, that you won't let anyone take vengeance against my son. I want no more bloodshed. As surely as the Lord lives, he replied, not a hair on your son's head will be disturbed. Please allow me to ask one more thing of my lord the king, she said. Go ahead and speak, he responded. She replied, why don't you do as much for the people of God as you have promised to do for me? You have convicted yourself in making this decision because you have refused to bring home your own banished son. Listen to this real close. All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. I won't take the time to give you the background of the story, but to make a long story short, Absalom is estranged from his father, David. Joab, who is David's uh, captain, head warrior, sees that this is a real problem for his master. 
And so he gets a woman who is found to have great wisdom, and he gets her to trick David in this story about her two sons. Out of it all, she gets David to see that God would not be doing it the way he's doing it. If someone was estranged from him, God would not just let them hang out there. God would not just leave them where they were at. But God in his infinite wisdom would devise ways to bring them back. Now, everybody won't raise their hand because everybody hasn't been in this situation. But if you've ever been in a situation where you love God and you serve God and you worship God and then you went through a phase in your life where you kind of began to fall away from the principles of the kingdom and fall away from the local church and fall away from your daily devotion, it didn't mean that God didn't love you anymore. It just you became lukewarm. I've been through that since I've been a Christian. And many of you have been through that. But what you learn is that God is a lot different during that phase of your life than you thought he was. I mean, I thought that if I turned my back on God in any way that he was going to say, later for you, let the door hit you. But to my utter surprise, he didn't do that. And he did just what this woman told David. He began to devise ways to get me back. I had no idea where I was going on a particular day would be an event that would make me think about coming back to God. I'd be transparent with you. I mean, this was a long time ago. I was even sitting in a bar one day having a double-double, and God began to talk to me. I'm not advocating it. I'm not saying go to the bar so you can hear from God. <laughs> I'm just sharing with you that's exactly what happened to me. I did not think that God would come in the bar, but he did. And I could go on with story after story to tell you ways that God challenged me and ways God devised to bring me back because his word to his people and his word to society, his word to the lost is come back to him. Can you say amen? Point number two. Well, before we get to point number two, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, we'll go to point number two. Point number two is come back to the church. Of course, we need to come back to God, but we also need to come back to his church. Sometimes people get that out of order. They try to come back to church without coming back to God. If you do that, you will just be miserable because you're gonna run into the same problem you ran into the last time you were in anybody's church. But if you come back to God, then come back to church. Your life will begin to go in the direction that God wants it to go. First Corinthians chapter five is a very interesting and powerful uh, verse of scripture. 
It is unique in Scripture because you don't hear about this kind of stuff very often. The Apostle Paul writes, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. Wow. Paul said, I've never seen it like that, not even in the world. The world doesn't even do it like that. <laughs> and so here's a man, history says, this man and this woman were actually a part of the leadership of the church in Corinth. And this woman was this man's father's wife. And somehow they hooked up. And somehow, the whole church found out about it. I always tell guys, don't, don't go have an affair because we're too stupid. We'll leave a credit card number. We'll leave a phone number somewhere. The best remedy is just don't do it. <laughs> but the whole church found out about it. And then they wrote the Apostle Paul to find out what should they do. And he answered them back. And he said, first of all, the church needs to get rid of its pride. I mean, you got all the gifts working. You got all the spiritual gifts working. You got all these great people in the church. And you don't want to expose this guy because you're afraid that it will blemish your church. And so Paul says, expose him in this process. Of course, the right and Christian and godly way to do things that he was also including uh, in the details, but is not in the text, but history uh, says it, is that they called the man in and they confronted him. Is this really true? We don't want to accuse you of something that's just somebody's accusation or gossip against you, but they did all the due diligence and found out it was really true. Long story short, because he would not repent. They gave him a space to repent. He would not repent. They had to ask him to leave the church. He left the church, and after he did, half the church, let's say this side of the church, was on his side. They said things like, we all have sin in our life. How are they going to just pick him out? They said things like, who's the leadership to think they can just kick him out and, you know, judge him like that? And then the other side of the church said more reasonable things like, you know, we trust our leadership and we believe that they made this decision because they had to make it. We know they're loving and compassionate. We know that they uh, are protecting the rest of the sheep. We know there had to be some kind of problem and reason. One of the key things in that scenario is neither side knows the whole story, therefore is not able to make a judgment. Anyway, the young man is out of the church now. And what the Apostle Paul said in asking him to leave the church is that we're going to turn him over to Satan. 
that his soul might be saved. And so what happened when you leave the authority of the church is that the enemy has access to you that he didn't have before. In this young man's life, the enemy started coming against him, start beating on him and battering his lifestyle and his life until the young man was broken. If we translate it into modern terms, we'd say his lights were off, his gas was off, and his house note was in foreclosure. And his car was broke down. Well, his new girlfriend, of course, when she saw that, she didn't want anything to do with him, so she went back to his daddy. Now the young man is all alone. Now he's in a place where God might have a chance to talk to him. Before then, he didn't want to hear anything about God. But he was so low and so broken that now one of the brothers from the church happened to see him on the side of the road with his car broke down and his head down between his knees and tears rolling down his eyes. And the brother walks up and says, hey, Brother John, isn't that you? We've been missing you. Where, where you been? And he begins to tell Brother John the long story of how he got into sin and how he disrespected God and the authority of the church and how Satan had beat him up. And he says to John, I'm tired now. I'm tired. I realize I've made a mistake. I repent of my sin." And I'm ready to get things right with God. Brother John, being a mature believer, following Galatians 6 and 1, he said, if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. In other words, when you see somebody that's really messed up, you shouldn't be pointing your finger and say, look, that's the one over there. You see the one over there sitting next to him and by her over there? That's the person that did that evil thing. No, Brother John realized that this, something like this could happen to me if I get proud about it. Something like this could happen to me if I'm not humble about it. And so he brought this brother back to the church, and I'm sure he took him to the elders and the pastors, and he said, this is the guy that messed up really bad, and he wants to talk to y'all. And I'm sure through tears he got his confession out and got his testimony out to the elders, and the elders loved on him, and they restored him, and they brought him back, and they, they told him, we're going to work with you. We're going to get you through to complete healness and healing and wholeness. And so I can imagine what the first Sunday morning was when he came back to the church. And that's what our next verse talks about. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5 and 11, listen to this. I'm not overstating, I'm not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him. That was this half over here. That was y'all. <laughs> and that was punishment enough. How many of you know when you know you messed up and church folks come against you, that's hard. I, I thank God for the mercy gift church folk. I thank God for the prophetic gift church folks too. 
But I need the mercy gift folks to hug me and hold me first before you turn me over. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Said most of you opposed him and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. I want you to know no matter what somebody's done in the church, no matter what you heard about somebody church, in the church, there comes a time when it's time to forgive them. I don't always know when that time is, and you don't know when that time is, but I promise you there comes a time. Paul said it, and it's true. So, now, however, it's time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. I wrote to you as I did to test you and see if you would fully comply with my instructions. When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to, for, to be forgiven, I do it with Christ's authority for your benefit so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Let me say this. We've used that verse out of context for eons of years. The King James says, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. We have used that for everything but this. When Paul said we're not ignorant of Satan's devices, he was talking about this brother who had been cast out of the church for good reason. But he was also talking about a brother who had repented. He was also talking about a man who had changed his mind. He was talking about a man who was now broken and ready to hear the word of the Lord to him. So Paul tells him, it's time to forgive. It's time to give him another chance. It's time to restore him. It is my personal opinion that most of the church, not just this church, but most of the church world is missing an opportunity to restore people. You know why we're missing it? We're missing it because we are ashamed to restore and identify with people who have had a past that's muddied up. I don't have time to tell you a story about a young man who was dating girls in my city back in Cleveland years ago, and he was get violent with them. And he was a very staunch Christian. So that was his testimony. And everybody knew about him. I'll just give you a brief on it. He got a reputation around the city. One day, I looked up, and he's standing in my church. This is after he had just thrown a girl out of a car at 40 miles per hour, and it was on the news. And so after service, he told me, he said, I can't go to church anywhere. He said, everybody knows me. He said, I want to serve the Lord. I have some problems. I need some help. And he began to cry. Long story short again, the next Sunday morning, 
I took him by the hand. I told him to bring him up to my office, and I took him by the hand, and I took him right to the podium in front of the whole church. And I said, y'all know this, brother. You know who he is and what he has done. I said, he came to me, and before God Almighty, he has repented. And I said, we're going to give him an opportunity to be loved on here. And we loved on that young man for weeks and months. I counseled with him. Others counseled with him for weeks and months until the point we felt comfortable that he had not only repented, but he brought forth works that showed his repentance. And he was not allowed to date anybody in the church anymore. Not now. You can't date, bro. We can help you. Not going to be any dating around here yet. You can date when I release you to date. Are you submitted to that? He said, yes, sir. And we restored him. And yes, we took criticism. I can't believe that Exum let him come into this church. We've got a powerful church and God is moving. You're going to bring in somebody like that. Yeah. Because I was somebody like that one day. And you were somebody like that. Not the same sin, not the same thing, but you and I were that same somebody one day. Can you say amen? And so we say, come back to the church. We say that every church is not a church where you're going to be cast out or you're going to fall away and there's not going to be any method for restoration. I thank God for my senior pastor, Tim Ross, because he leads with an open hand. You can come in and you can leave out and you could come back. A lot of churches, you know, if you decide to leave out, you better not even think about visiting. If you visit, their security team is going to be right there. Uh, here's Exum at the door. Exum just pulled on the parking lot. But the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a restoring church. And so the word of the Lord is come back to church. Don't let anybody keep you out of church. Don't let anybody keep you away from the house of God. You know you want to sing the songs of Zion. You know you want to get on the altar and worship and kneel before God and have people pray with you. You know you want the sweet fellowship of the brothers and sisters in the congregation. You know that listening to the radio and watching television is not having real fellowship. Come back to church. Because the church loves you. The church is Jesus' bride. The church is not 6300 Beltline Row. The church is Mom and Pop Ross. The church is Stephen Emmerich. The church is your name. And we love you. Come back to church. My third point before I close, is come back to each other. Just like God, enmity 
happens because we were supposed to be together in the first place. But something happened to tear us apart. Even David, mother, said it was not my enemy that reproached me. It was my own familiar friend. It was the one I worshiped with. I sang on the worship team with them. I served on the pastoral staff with them. I did Revive Texas with them. We were close. I shared all my intimate secrets. And then they stabbed me in the heart. They betrayed me. And we have to follow the pattern that God follows. We have to allow him through us to become those who have the ministry of reconciliation. Whether or not you're able to reconcile anybody depends on where your relationship with Christ is. If you have been broken and submitted, if you realize how awesome he is, then you will be able to do what he does so well. He reconciles people unto himself. He devises ways, that wise woman said, to bring us back to God. Listen to this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. It says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy. Now, let's get this straight right off the bat. Nobody can go asking for God. I mean, you could, but it's going to be to no avail. Don't go asking God to clothe you because he's not going to do it. The apostle said here, we must clothe ourselves. And look what he said that we have to clothe ourselves with. Tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Listen to this one. Make allowance for each other's faults. Now, uh, a good way to really... Be accurate as you interpret scripture is if you find a verse like that that is also recorded somewhere else in scripture. And for your listening, Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 4 says almost verbatim the exact same thing. But look, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. It doesn't say criticize anyone who offends you. It doesn't say talk about to someone else anyone who offends you. As a matter of fact, Matthew 15 says, if your brother offend you, go to your brother. It doesn't say go to everybody else and say what they said about you. It says go directly to them. If we would do that, we would eliminate all gossip and backbiting and strife from this church or any other church, if you would make a decision, if I hear you talking about me, I'm coming to you. <sighs> Listen to what he says. Remember 
the Lord forgave you. I need to read that sentence again. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Every believer has to be willing to take these verses of Scripture to heart. You have to ask yourself, and so do I, when was the last time that I made allowance for another believer's fault? And then I would ask myself, when is the last time that I didn't have any faults that I didn't need somebody to make allowance for? Mm-hmm. Or I could ask myself, when is the last time me, Michael Exum, forgave anybody? So in closing today, I want to ask you, what's your resume on reconciliation? How many can you put on your family spiritual tree that shows you've actually reconciled somebody? This is not to guilt trip you. This is to make us all think. So we stop walking by this ministry of reconciliation. Because I'll tell you what I've unfortunately seen in the body of Christ for many years now. And that is there seems to be this thinking that if somebody and I don't get along, I cut you off. I tell you, let the door hit you. I, I label you a hater. I'm going on without my haters. And I do nothing to try to bring us back together again. It could be a brother and sister in Christ, a brother and a brother, a sister and a sister. It could be a husband and a wife. It could be a business relationship. Maybe some things happen that cannot be repaired, but you can have a heart of reconciliation. I'm convinced that the prodigal son's father was representing God when he stood out at the end of the driveway, so to speak. He was looking for his son. You can tell if you have a heart of reconciliation if you're looking for the person that the enemy was able to separate you from. I'll share this real quick, and I've been teaching this for years. Anybody as a believer that you really get to be at odds with is somebody that God wanted to use to be a blessing to you and you to them, and that's why the enemy came against you both. I'm not saying we can solve every relational problem in the body of Christ, but I'm saying that every person should have a resume that shows they are functioning
in the ministry of reconciliation because God heart, God's heart longs for it. Would you stand with me? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. No matter who you are, where you've been, I want you to know that God loves you and he's calling you back. Maybe you're in relationship with God, but you need to be back in a deeper level. Maybe you can relate to some of these challenges I've talked about. Maybe you've been cast away from the church or either by your own volition and you just didn't think you could get back. You can get back. You can come back. God is calling you back. Maybe you had a friendship, a relationship with somebody that you just think is gone forever. Listen, we should all be able to be brothers and sisters in Christ and have that fellowship, that sweet fellowship that we have as members of the body. No matter what your situation may be, today is a day of coming back. You can come back. As you bow your heads, ask yourself, Lord, do I really understand that you are calling me back? And if you do understand it, you can come back today. You can come back to God. You can come back to church. And you can come back to each other. God has a way of helping to reconcile because that's what he's all about. Father, I pray for every person. I pray for the Holy Spirit to speak to them today. I pray for the Holy Spirit to encourage them, heal them, and restore them as they come back to you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.